Welcome to the Leadership Roundtable, a podcast with Dr. Conway Edwards, where our goal is to help you increase your leadership capacity. Let's get ready for today's episode. Welcome to the Leadership Roundtable, a podcast with Dr. Conway Edwards, and we have a very special guest here today that you're going to be excited that you're learning and listening in with us. Now, before we jump in, I want to encourage you to go to our webpage, visit1cc.com slash leadership roundtable. There you'll be able to get an outline and some show notes of what we talk about today. We want to thank you so much for joining us. And our goal is to help you expand your leadership capacity. Now let's jump in. Today we have Pastor E. Dewey Smith from the House of Hope in Atlanta. We are so glad you're here. How you doing? Welcome I'm, to Texas. I'm great, Pastor Matt. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. Well, it's good to see you. You know, it's been tough uh, since the uh, Dallas Cowboys let me down last season. So, you know, I had a little anxiety about coming out to Dallas, Dallas this time. But seeing you and Pastor Conway and Lady Jada and One Community, it's kind of lifted my spirits a little bit, so yeah. I'm glad to be here with the leadership round. You know, there there, <laughs> there is hope. Indeed. Um, you know, as Cowboy fans, we are one of the greatest examples of what faith is. Listen, long-suffering. Long <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yes, long-suffering. Um, wow. Uh, well, Cowboys fans, we love you. I love you. Indeed. And we're going to be back next year, and we're going to believe it is the year. We feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pastor, thank you for jumping in, and thank you for joining us it's it's an honor to have you here and i mean we just want we're talking to leaders today yeah and one of the big topics today is how, how can i look into the future i know leaders see see before others see yeah and we want to talk about visionary leadership and what that looks like and just what kind of been on your mind and what you've been seeing in the world today. you know it's so amazing i was talking to dr conway and he just was pointing to me and uh, giving insights about you know reimagining tomorrow mm. and one of the things that stood out to me uh, matt is this when I was a kid, I loved watching cartoons. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite cartoons was called The Flintstones. That's right. You know, produced in 1960 by Hanna-Barbera there in California. You know, you had Fred Flintstone and Wilma and Dino and Barney and Betty and Bam Bam and That's Mr. Right. Slate. You know, it was um, really a combination of the prehistoric times meets the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rock quarry, you know, and people loved Flintstones. As a matter of fact, it made it multiple seasons because it was a regurgitation and an amalgamation of periods that are past gone and by. Well, two years later, same production company came out with a cartoon called The Jetsons. It was produced right. in 1962, George Jetson and Jane and Elroy, but it was predicted in the year 2062. As a matter of fact, uh, George Jetson, according to the Jetsons cartoons, was just born July 31st, 2021. (laughs) So he just had his birthday. No, 2022. So he just had a birthday uh, last year. And here's the irony. That was the first time we saw smart smart watches. Wow. Uh, Zoom calls. um, uh, Teleconferences. Flying cars. Skype. um, FaceTime. Mm Mm-hmm. Robots, computers, and and so it was a 100-year forecast of what the world would look, look like in 2062. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what got me. The Flintstones made it multiple seasons. The Jetsons only made it one season. Wow. And I, and I wondered why, and that's because in 1962, 80% of American televisions were black and white. The Jetsons was the first 
cartoon that was produced in color. And because people hated seeing in color, <laughs> they only wanted that which was black and white. And also because the Jetsons was forecasting what was to come. <clears throat> it made people uncomfortable. So regurgitating what was in the Flintstones made the multiple seasons. But embracing the possibilities of what we could become <laughs> only made it one season. It started in September of six, 1962, and by March of 63, it was done. And it made me think about our own lives mm -hmm. and, and, and leaders and the church and institutions and organizations, how people have a normal proclivity to embrace what was. And here we are now, less than 40 years away from what the Jetsons projected, right. and look at how much has transpired and is on the horizon. Yet so many of us in faith communities yeah. were still stuck in a Flintstones age. Mm. And I think our inability to reach millennials and Gen Zers is going to be based on us answering the question, are you going to be Fred Flintstone or are you going to be George Jetson? And I just think this, the pandemic has forced us to leave our comfort zones and to imagine life as what will be. And if we're not willing to do that, I think uh, many of our faith communities are going to be on the verge of extinction. Mm. And so the question is, which one will you be? And so... Um, whether it be social media, whether it be technology, whether it be film, you know, whether it be you know, the, the world of AI, will we, be, will we be willing to have a Flintstones mentality or a Jetsons mentality? Yeah. Wow, you, you said something there, that looking to the future only lasted one season. One season. Man. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. We want to go back to comfort, right? Right, right back to comfort. And here, here's the thing. And they decided to reproduce the, the, the Jetsons in the 80s mm -hmm. in color. And, it, and, and people had more of a, a, a liking for it. But by that time, every television was, black, was, was in color. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes what happens is once color TV caught on, then the populace caught on to it. Yeah. And sometimes in the faith community, it's been said that society changes every four years but most churches only change every 20. Oh, gosh. So it's, it's exactly what you just said. Yeah. We have this hard time embracing what will be. Wow. Now, what my mind is racing now. What, um, what are some of the ways that churches are stuck in the past and not wanting to look into the future? What's tripping us up? You know, for me, one of the things I discovered, and I still see it now, it's not said as much as it was when I was coming up, but when I was a boy growing up in the church, here's what they taught me. They would say, young people, you are the church of tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then they'd turn around and say, but tomorrow is not promised to you. So, so, <laughs> so, so I'm raising this quandary of am, am I the church of tomorrow or is tomorrow promised? And so what has happened, we have not had inclusion. Mm -hmm. When you think about the church at Pentecost, you know, it, it talked about, Peter quoting from Joel, you know, your young men shall see visions. Yeah. Old men shall dream visions. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So it was intergenerational. Mm -hmm. it, it also was inclusive from a gender perspective, which is amazing because yeah. even with the cartoons, the Flintstones and the Jetsons, they both include the role of women. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, and so I think one of the things that we have to do in this day and time is we have to begin to empower our young people to bring their ideas, mm -hmm. to have them at the table, uh, and 
we and for us to highlight or platform promote whatever we whatever we put on the platform is what we promote. Yeah. And so I think, and this this is one of the beautiful things that I think is happening in one community. You've been such a great paradigm in your ministry and Dr. Edwards, and and and, and Lady Jada's. It's the importance of multi generational leadership mm-hmm. and inclusion and involvement. So that's one thing that we have to do. I remember I was. Um, I was doing a workshop some years ago. This has probably been less than 20 years ago in a city in Alabama, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama to be exact. Yeah. And I was there to try to do some mediation on behalf of a pastor who was literally being terminated from the church. So they called me in to kind of do some consultations with him. And here's why they were going to fire him. You won't believe it. Not because of any theological issue or moral issue. But he wanted to computerize the church's records. He wanted to get the church records out of Sister Jones' house and the financial records out of this. And they said to him, "This has been in the, this has been in, yeah, within the last twenty years, that you have you have bringing the Antichrist into our church." I, I thought about my own ministry years ago when my director of my ministry said, "I want to I want to start a Facebook page for you." Yeah, Facebook. I want people to follow you. I don't want anybody to follow. Let's follow. And so, and so those types of issues. I think even Pastor Conway, you know, he's like, you know, not comfortable initially with yep. with with those types of mediums. And I think when we have to listen and embrace. And so I think including young people, not being fearful of technology, also making sure that our budget reflects that this is where our heart is. It's hard for me to say that I have a heart for young people or a heart for technology, but, yeah. but the budget, the resources are not allocated mm-hmm. to undergird that particular uh, vantage point. So I think those are a few things that we have to do yeah. in order to remain relevant for tomorrow. So that budget's going to show us what we're really doing. Listen, wherever your heart is, as you listen, <laughs> ladies, if a young man tells you he loves you, and never spends money on you. He doesn't yeah. love you because if he loves you, he's gonna buy you some Chico sticks, some Nihilator, some green beans, some baked beans, some Doritos. If wherever his heart is, your treasure will be there. Also, well, that's a whole other <laughs> podcast right there. We're gonna have to do that one on another day. <laughs> but it really does reflect. In, Absolutely. In looking at when we yeah. look to the future, yeah. I mean, we've done that in our in our leadership room. We look at the table and say, "Well, are we all over forty in here?" Isn't that something? And it's, you know, I, I thought about it. On, on our board of directors, I had a conversation recently. I said, you know, guys, I'm amongst the youngest. I'm the youngest person on the board. Mm. What does that say? Yeah. You know, I've been here almost 20 years, so it's time to reimagine. It's time to pre- press the reset button. And we, have, and we can't be fearful. You know, we have to learn the nuances of each group. And because we, 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 tend, we have a tendency uh, to not appreciate the youthfulness and the energy, and and so to, to understand the mentality of those who are coming behind us. If not, I, I'm fearful about the future of the mm-hmm. church. Let me ask you this: What do you, uh, when you're looking into the future, mm-hmm. trying to see what tomorrow looks like? Uh, where where are you getting inspiration? Where are you getting ideas? How are you getting outside of the box of the past? to look into the future. I think it's important. I hate to say it like this, but I think we have to be willing to look at other institutions and yeah. other corporations other than the church. That's good, yeah. You know, I have a few of my friends who are, uh, who are seriously invested in, te- in tech. Mm-hmm. 
And so every June, there's a huge conference out in Silicon Valley just with tech companies mm-hmm. to see what's on the horizon. And so to be in that room around other investors, to see what's coming, to be ahead of the latest trends uh, technologically, I think it's important. You know, what, what, what's happening at, at Apple? What's happening at Google? That's right. And industries of such. And I think when we do that, uh, we can't be afraid. You know, Jesus said, once said that the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's, and I think that's, that's some truth in that relative to, relative to what is happening, you know, societally. So I think it's important to get out of the box, to read more than just the Bible. Yeah. Of course, the Bible is our foundation, but read the Wall Street Journal. Read some other tech guides and other things about computers to just know what's coming, what's happening, and then for us to be creative and be proactive. So every in, every new invention is not coming from a secular source. Right. You know, really to, to gaming and uh, coding. Yeah. These types of things are very, very important. Now, when you when you look into the church of tomorrow, yes, what gets you excited about the future and the potential in tomorrow's church? One of the greatest things about what, what excites me is this whole piece of the authenticity. Mm-hmm. And one guy called it radical vulnerability wow, okay. of the Gen, Gen Zers and the millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't believe in sticking around with something that's not working. Okay. They love authenticity. And I think a, a, a lot of us in previous generations, even as church leaders, is very, very important. Uh, if you hurt one of them, they're going to say, I'm hurting. I think a lot of us have taken pain and, and endured pain and not been willing to deal with the realities of pain. Yeah. Um, I think this whole perspective of, of, of self-care, mm-hmm. holistic self-care, is something I'm hearing and seeing more in the next generation. I think that's very, very important. Yeah, I mean, a, a new idea, leaders used to just be the ones who could grit their teeth and push, grit their teeth and push through. Absolutely. And, and in the future, uh, I've heard you mention that, that we need to be emotionally healthy leaders. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I've always been a mental health advocate, mm-hmm. but my advocacy increased significantly in 2013. Never shall forget it. Uh, one of the guys who I grew up with, we were boy preachers together growing up in Georgia. Uh, his name was Teddy, Teddy Parker. And Teddy reached out to me in October of 2013. Called me. I was on the phone. I'm going to hit you right back. You know how we do. And got caught up. I didn't hit him back. Well, two weeks later, I'm in the church preaching, and my phone is going off. I have my phone. It's going off like, who's calling me? I'm in church. Well, later I discovered that his family was calling me to see, had I heard from him? He was supposed to be preaching somewhere, and he sent his family ahead. Long story short, he told them he left something back home. Went back home in his garage, suit on, I mean, a a clothes, a, a Attire for church, Bible, notes next to him, put his nine millimeter in his mouth, pull the trigger Mm. on a Sunday morning. Here is the man of God. Here is the pastor. Here is the leader. Here's my friend since Mm -hmm. we were 15 years old. I never would have thought in a million years that he'd be so low and that broken that he'd consider taking his life. You never, I would have lost my life in a bet. But he was going through stress in a building program, um, having some challenges, you know, emotionally. And so five days later, I had to preach the eulogy of my friend and try to explain to his wife and his two daughters. 
to make some sense of this. And since that time, we've had about 46 preachers, ministers to take their lives. And so it showed me again that's such a a huge distance between the faith community and sometimes the health and mental health communities. Mm -hmm. Because we want to put a scripture and put oil on everything and everybody and not realize that there are people who have some serious mental, emotional health needs, and we shouldn't demonize it. It's a part of our humanity. And I love the, the, the generation that's coming because they're more prone okay. to normalize getting proper mm-hmm. care for mental health. Yeah. I think it's so important because um, we're not living long enough and ministry is not going to be bearable in the future if we don't deal with the serious emotional and mental health needs of leaders. Wow. So what have you done in your church and with leaders that you coach to help raise that awareness? Well, we actually started our own um, Haven House Counseling Center for the community. We have a fully licensed counseling center uh, for our community and for our parishioners, and we, two of which we provide counseling services to those leaders that I coach. We've been blessed to do that for, since, since that time. Mm-hmm. The other thing, mental health assessments. You know, before I will ordain another person in ministry, um, I think it's good to know the ordinances and know the Old New Testament, those things, but tell me who you are emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to have mental health assessments and psychological evaluations. Uh, Some people can be very gifted scripturally and they know all the nuances of, you know, the ecclesia. But when it comes to, you know, uh, racial, relational intelligence and having that proper ability to deal with people. Some people are not emotionally well. Yeah. And so we've been very intentional about not just preparing people biblically through the growth process to the Bible and apologetics and systematic theology. Those things are wonderful and they're necessary. Yeah. But what good is all that in somebody's? What good, Peach Cazero says, what good is it mm. if I am a spiritual giant and an emotional midget? And so how do we bridge that gap yeah. to really help people who are dealing with emotional dwarfism yeah. uh, as a result of, as Dr. Conway said, those buckets that weren't filled when they were a child. That's right. And so I think it's important that we're intentional about building people emotionally. Yeah. And it starts with, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ask, I think it starts with the senior leader being an advocate for this. Absolutely. Mm. And, and, and what I love about, uh, Pastor Conway and so many others, one a few others, is willing to be vulnerable ourselves. Yeah. You know, willing to say, hey, there are some things I didn't get in my childhood, mm-hmm. some things that have made me selfish, you know, looking for confirmation or sometimes validation or yeah. not being able to properly manage, you know, offense and, uh, you know, problem solving and people conflict. Some things, sometimes those things go back to our childhood. Yeah. And if we're not able to do that, to deal with that, rather than use the scripture, don't touch the anointed every time. Don't touch God's anointed every time. Yeah. You would call it to the carpet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's so important. I really, really, I really do um, that we learn how to be emotionally whole yeah. and emotionally well. I love seeing, just like you said, with Pastor Conway, um, when you see that the person that's leading you has stripes, my goodness. It changes everything. And that's so, so rich. 
And I, I j- um, I've seen him so many times share his weaknesses, and it just does something when, when the senior leader says, yeah, I was in counseling last week. Wow. Everybody who's ever thought, that I don't need that. I need to just suck it up. Wow. I just need another verse. Mm. It just is freeing. And I, I mean, mm. to some degree, we all need it. <laughs> you, you know it's amazing when you think about Thomas? When Jesus was resurrected, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when he first appeared on Easter Sunday evening. And he says, unless I see the nail prints, I won't believe. Yeah. And when Jesus shows Thomas his scars, when he shows him his wounds, it helped Thomas to believe. Mm-hmm. If Jesus doesn't show his wounds, we have a Thomas who's never converted to an authentic apostleship yeah. and discipleship. So good. Thomas becomes a sainthood. Thomas becomes a saint and walks in sainthood only after visibly seeing and identifying with the wounds of Jesus. And so, as you said about Pastor Conway, showing the wounds Mm -hmm. helped to develop others, to walk in purpose, to know I'm not crazy, to know something's not wrong with me, to know I'm I'm incurably human. You know, when I think about it, you know, Moses got so angry that he hit a rock rather than speak to it. I mean, Elijah got so depressed that he requested death on the juniper tree. Uh, Jeremiah was so messed up, he cursed the day he was born, and uh, we called him the weeping prophet. Wrote, wrote an entire book called Lamentations. Yeah. And even Jesus, our Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, says, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. The Lord said yeah. that sorrow is about to kill me before Calvary does. And so if Moses could be depressed, if Jeremiah could be depressed, if David could say, give me wings, let me fly away, if Elijah could want death, if Jesus could have sorrow, struggling with the will of his father and of his own humanity, then let us know we too can be human. And it's a part of our human experience. Uh, we are spirit, we're soul, and we're body. And we have a God who can keep and preserve our souls. And so I think it's so important. If a person is going through something emotionally, you are not alone. That's right. You, you, you are incurably human, but we have a God who can preserve and protect your soul. And so be free. Rid yourself of the shame of the, we need to, here's the word, we need to disembarrass people. Disembarrass people relative to human, to emotional and mental health uh, uh, issues. Disembarrass people so they can be free. And the shame teaches us. Shame tells us that there's safety and anonymity. Isn't that something? Shame says, you know what? If you keep this to yourself, you'll be safe. My goodness. And that is the exact opposite. Man, it's, it's like, it's, it's so toxic. It just, it, it eats, it's like a poison that just eats away at you. Yeah. And so me going through something the last couple of years, you know, I've been very, you know, vocal about the deaths I experienced yeah. a few years ago with my godmother, my mother, my best friend from college and my sister, all in 28 days. It was so bad that my brother had a stroke four days after we buried my sister. No, no, there were no health problems, no blood pressure problems. The doctor said that, son, your brother almost died over something called broken heart syndrome. I never heard of broken heart syndrome. But the grief was so significant for my brother, my sister, and I. You know, losing our mother and our sister in three weeks. It was trauma like we've never experienced. Yeah. But, but the older generation would tell me, as a preacher, preach through it. Yeah. Preaching is cathartic. Just preach your way through it. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes you, 
But if I'm in a car accident on I-75 and my neck is traumatized with uh, a concussion or yeah. whiplash, you don't just say, just drive your way through it. You right. go, you go to, the, to the hospital and get treatment. But when our souls are damaged, we, we don't have the same type of conversations and sensitivity. And, you know, this is really – so leaders listening, we're just really – we're just being real here. We're talking about the, the vision and looking in tomorrow. Yeah. And we've all been through a lot. And COVID, I think, did something totally different to us that we don't even know. And Absolutely. We've all got some baggage. And if we're going to be leaders that can make it in the future, we've got to figure out how to, without shame, take the mask off. Yes. Get the help we need. Listen, millennials and Gen Zers are going to demand authenticity mm -hmm. and holistic ministry. You just can't throw Bible verses at a Gen Zer. Yeah. Because they'll tell you, you can take your Bible and tear the pages and blow your nose and, and clean yourself after yeah. you've def defecated. Mm -hmm. how to, you've got to be real in relationship with me so I can, I can connect with you and I can know who you are. And I think it's so vital that we're about not just you know, not just being doc doctrinally strong, which is very, very important, but also being honest and being open and being a safe haven where people can come and feel safe. Can a person feel safe, even with the thoughts about the future or with their lives? Are they safe spiritually, emotionally, and physically? Amen. Are they safe? Amen. So we want to thank you for joining in, and we want to encourage you to find those places you can be safe. Whether it's with a coaching network like Climb or whether it's with your local church or those around you, you don't have to hide. You don't have to scour away in shame. But uh, if we're going to look to the future, we've got to be real and deal with what we got. We want to thank you, Pastor, for jumping in here with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's, it's a joy being able to talk about it. I feel better yeah. every time I talk about it. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening. If this has been helpful or if you know someone who's looking to the future or someone who's struggling with this very thing, if you could share this, leave us a review. Um, we just want to help as many people as we can, and we want to thank you for tuning in. We're going to have an outline for what we talk through at our webpage, visit1cc.com slash leadership roundtable. And we just want you to know that we're grateful every single month that you tune in and join us. We're grateful for the community that we have in you. So let's do this together. Let's be emotional, healthy leaders who look to the future. We'll see you next month. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. It has been an honor to have you here with us. Now, just want to remind you that all of the resources we talked about today are available online at visit1cc.com slash leadership roundtable. Now, if this has been helpful, leave us a review, go out there and hit subscribe, and more importantly, share this with your team so that everybody can grow. We can't wait to see you next time.